0: Well, thank you. It's a real pleasure to be with you this morning. And as Pete said, we go back um, a number of years. And in the same way that he would have said that to me, that I have um, pastored him, he has also been that um, pastor voice into my own heart and life, particularly as I was making the move from Portland, Oregon to Utah. I spent 14 years in Portland. And I um, love that city, love the community of people that I build relationships with and came deep with. And it just became apparent to me um, a year and a half ago that I would go and join the church plant that Amago planted in Salt Lake City, Utah. And so it's been um, a fabulous year. I have to admit, I went with a lot of fear. I was uncertain about what this change would mean for me, um, kind of a learning curve in terms of a cultural difference. And I have to say that Christ has met me in that city the same way that he met me in Portland. He um, stays the same. Amen. Yeah, love a bit of feedback. It's legit. So I know this morning that you have, um, or I know this season you've been walking through what it means to participate and kind of dive into what is known as Advent Conspiracy. You've talked about what it looks like to give less or to spend less and to give more. Pete's been walking you through that. And in some ways, it just reframes the season for us, Um, Advent Conspiracy. And I did this as I lived in Portland for many years, and it kind of slows things down. There's a level of intentionality that participating in Advent Conspiracy kind of requires of you. And that can be a good thing because oftentimes the season can kind of envelope you in a fury of shopping or travel or parties and not to say that any of those things are bad things but when they become the primary focus it can take us away from the intention of what the historical church wanted Advent to do for us. And the historical church established the season of Advent so that we would be left in a place of expectation and anticipation. And in diving back into the gospel narrative in the text itself, as we're reoriented, there are a couple of things that that waiting and that expectation does for us. It allows us to step alongside the nation of Israel and enter into the longing and expectation that they had and the desire that they had that God would break into their world. And it lets us open our hands and open our hearts and open our eyes to the ways that we might want God to break into our world. That's the purpose of creating space, of being still, of living with expectation. And we're going to look at a couple in the narrative. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there with me. Open up your app. Um, We'll be in Luke chapter 2. And there are a couple folks who had been longing and waiting in expectation of the arrival of Messiah, the Anointed One, Christ. And they'd been waiting for a number of years and they going to the temple, the place where God's presence met with humanity, and we're going to jump in here now at the place of the temple. Christ has actually already been born, but we get this narrative of what these two individuals have been doing as they've waited and expected and hoped for the arrival of Jesus. So we're going to pick it up in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. We're going to pick it up in verse 25. Verse 25. Mary and Joseph are bringing the Christ child to the temple and they bump into a couple of individuals. Verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother, mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for um, your word and the way that your word invites us into a deeper understanding of the truths of who you are and who we are. I pray this morning that by the power of your spirit, you would make us aware of your presence, you would make us aware of the things that we need to learn and hear in our minds and hearts of who you are, and that we would be transformed, transformed into a people that will respond to you and live our lives in response to the truth of who you are. Lord, give us open hearts today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, Amen. Um, my grandmother is ninety-three, and she's totally epic. So there was one year, probably two years ago, um, and she travelled. I think to six or seven different countries. I was like, "How is it that my ninety-three-year-old grandma or at the time, ninety-one-year-old grandma, is like getting more travel than I get?" Um, she's very adventurous. Um, and she's a deeply grounded and rooted lady. And so it's always my pleasure when I get to go and spend time with her. She currently lives in Colorado. She lives underneath um, in, a, in a house beneath where my uncle lives. And there are times where I have opportunity to go and visit her, and it is an absolute delight for me to see her. She has this rocking chair, and every morning she likes to make breakfast and Um, She's a proper English lady, so we have the plates out and it's all very lovely. You know, I usually just grab a bowl of cereal, a a piece of toast, and no, no, we will sit down. We will enjoy our breakfast together and have conversation. And then after breakfast, usually when she's on her own, she has this little rocking chair. And she'll go and sit in the rocking chair and then she will light a candle. And then she has these songs that she sung as a little girl. She grew up in Ireland and she has these songs that mean a lot to her, and so she'll sing herself a chorus. So she'll sit there with this chorus that she sings, ones that she learned when she was attending church. And then she will read a few passages from the Bible, and then she'll spend quite a bit of time praying. And she'll pray for all of us, family members, and um, anybody else that comes to her mind. And then the be- one of the best parts about it, though, is that then she'll just like blow out the candle and she'll close her Bible and then she'll just get about her day. And she's not a very fussy woman. And um, the thing that stands out to me most is that then she lives the rest of her day with this sense of curiosity and wonder and expectation. There's this one time where she was making turkey and you know how you can get the innards of the of the animal inside the turkey and she pulls it she's you've got to look at this this is the heart and this is this and this is that and I'm like wow well, grandma you're just full of wonder and you want to share that with me your granddaughter like I need to see the heart and liver of a turkey because that's what you do right but that morning time where she lights her candle and she reads her bible kind of infuses the way in which she looks at the world around her She lives her life related to God. So she lives a worshipful life. And that comes out in the kind of ordinary, everyday, mundane things that she does, like cooking a turkey, which, by the way, she still does at 93. And she's taught me a lot. And I think what Luke wants us to do is dive into this passage, and he's introducing us to these two elders elders in the community of Israel and he wants us to come in close, take a look at these two people, they've been at it for a long time and they have something to say to us about expectation and about hope and curiosity and wonder at the presence of Christ. just like my grandma. And he introduces us to them by giving us kind of their character portraits or their profiles or resume, for lack of a better word. And so as you read, you see that there's this gentleman, Simeon. And he's a man, um, it says that the spirit of God rests upon him. He is a man who is significantly related to God as the Spirit of God is present to him. He speaks to God through the Spirit, listens and is attentive to God's Spirit, and then speaks the words of God to the people. And he's righteous and devout. He's a man who worships. He lives his life related to God, and then his life becomes a response to that relatedness. That's what worship is. When we live our lives in response to being related to God. I think sometimes we assume that like singing, singing is a part of that response, but it's not the only way that we respond to God. And so any way that we respond to God can be an act of worship. And then we have Anna, and she is explicitly said, or explicitly says in the text that she is a prophetess. And so that means that she is endowed, by inference she's endowed with the Holy Spirit. That's who a prophet was, filled with the Spirit of God, and she's placed In a particular family, Asher, an Israelite, she's given belonging with this nation, with this collection of people, a prophet belonging to a tribe in a particular people. Her heritage places her in relationship to God, God of the Old Testament, Yahweh, the God who comes close. And both of them spend a lot of their time in the temple. It says that that's where Anna spends the majority of her time. She is speaking to God, responding to God, worshiping God. She's protected by him, devoted to him. And this is no short-lived spirituality, right? She's been married prior and then she spent 80 years in the temple. This is a woman with some serious perseverance. As it relates to responding, waiting, and expecting the reality of God in her life. So, both of these people, like I said, these elders, they're pretty good references. These character profiles that Luke is giving us is kind of saying, yeah, pay attention, look at how they live. And the place that they are is also pretty significant, the temple. And I think sometimes we try and grasp what exactly, is there a correlation for us? What exactly was the temple? And I think sometimes maybe we would equate a place of worship with a church or a high school building. There are places that we come to intentionally meet with God. But we don't limit ourselves to a church, right? Now, that's not a place that we're limited to encountering God. And yet the temple is a very significant location for the people of Israel for a number of reasons. It's essential because it is the only place that the people of Israel met with God. That's the place that he promised to be, God, by his spirit. And so that's the place where they knew they could encounter his presence was in this physical, tangible place, the temple. It's the place where they were made right with God through the sacrificial system. It's basically a place where heaven met earth, where God touched humanity And so for people who were devoted and wanted to be in connection with God, that place was extremely significant because that's where you go to meet God. So you have these people. Who they are and where they are are important things to observe from the text. And then what they're doing. What are they doing? They... um, Are waiting. It says in verse 25 that Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. And basically, he's waiting for the hopes of Israel to be made real through the provision of God. So there has been a number of times over the many, many years where this nation has been oppressed. Babylon, Assyria, now Rome. And they anticipate God being the one who will come in with a divine rescue and take them out of these places of oppression and give them a just and fair and peaceful rule. That is going to be the consolation of Israel when the divine rescue comes and there is this just rule from a just God rather than these oppressive regimes that have hold of them. This is what Simeon is waiting for. And in verse 37 you can see what Anna is doing. Anna is fasting. And fasting is a picture that everything is the way that it's supposed to be. She is actively waiting This fasting is a prayer, and it's a prayer entreating God to do the things that that he has promised. So her fasting becomes a deliberate action of her hope that God will and can help. So both of these people in touch with God, they know him, they trust him, and they're hoping in him, they're both waiting for Christ. Which is the invitation and the very essence of Advent, is to instill in us that same sense of anticipation, that we can and we should anticipate Christ, his goodness, his faithfulness, and his provision. There was a, or there is a woman who is um, part of the community at Amargo, and just before, maybe four weeks before Thanksgiving, her boys were outside playing in the garden, and um, they, he had, they were playing with this tomato um, crate, or you know those wire, you know what I'm talking about? It's people, or am I totally obscure. The tomato, so the tomatoes grow, and they need something to lean on. And they have that tomato wire thing. That's the word I'm looking for. A crate. Thank you. Um, And they were just playing with this tomato crate. And her little boy, who's a six-year-old, they were throwing it back and forth. And there's a place in the back of the head where um, this tomato crate punctured the little boy. And so it went into his brain. And so he immediately has this... um, goes into, you know, completely blacks out. They lose him, basically. And so they rush him to the hospital. And um, I hear about this situation. I hear about um, the difficulty, clearly, of this situation. And um, she continues to let everybody know what's going on. As she's waiting, this little boy is having to go through three different surgeries. They open up his Um, head so that there's room for the brain as it is um, expanding to kind of find space. And it's this tenuous moment where they don't know if this little boy is going to emerge. And the thing that struck me the most was this woman's response. She would let us know every now and then as she's waiting to hear what's going to happen, to her little boy, and in the midst of it, she would send psalms, verses from the text that she would read, was reading, and there were other times where she would um, send us all a song that she was listening to, and generally speaking, those songs were songs that were speaking about the truth of who God is. And it really struck me that in this woman's waiting, she was worshipping. She was orienting her heart and her mind towards the truth of who God is in the midst of the reality of a very, very, very dark moment. Whether she would or wouldn't lose this child that she loved. And it's stunning to watch somebody worship in the waiting. This little boy emerged, and he's learning to walk, learning to speak, and he has this little sparkle in his eyes. And she continues to worship in the waiting. These two elders, they invite us to respond, to be connected to God and in being connected to God, live our lives out of that connection. And that's my friend, this woman, she lives her life in connection as she waits to God and responds out of that place of connection, that's worship. And so my question for you this morning is where does waiting take you? Does it take you to frustration or to fear or to doubt or to places of distraction? I can't even handle it, I'm just gonna distract for hours and hours and hours on end. Or does your waiting take you to the promises of a faithful God? To his goodness, to his kindness, to his care, to his provision, even In the midst of uncertainty. Living lives related to God. Or worshippers. Means that we live expectant. We live anticipating. And what do we expect? And what do we anticipate? The presence of Christ. That's what. Anna and Simeon were doing. And that's what my friend in Portland was doing and that's what we are invited this season into as we wait in expectation for the presence of Christ. So Mary and Joseph enter the temple. They um, are fulfilling the Jewish law established in Exodus 13 that the firstborn child would be consecrated or dedicated to God. And that happened after they emerged out of the Exodus. And God set aside this law to say that now, from this point on, that the firstborn son would be consecrated, would be set apart. And so Anna and Simeon, I mean Mary and Joseph, not Anna and Simeon, Mary and Joseph are bringing the Christ child in in accordance with this law established out of Exodus chapter 13. And the minute that um, Simeon sees the child, he's moved by the Spirit. We know that's part of how he lives in the world. He's moved by the presence of God. He walks into the temple, and as soon as he sees the child, he takes the child and lifts the child up in his arms. I have a picture that maybe we can put up if we have it. This is by an artist called Stefan Wolf. And it's, his, it's a wood etching of how he would imagine Simeon, this old guy, holding up this little tiny baby. So as soon as Mary and Joseph walk in, Simeon is acutely aware of who Christ is. He picks up the baby and he receives Christ. It says, And then Anna, it says later on, she comes around the corner and their waiting hopes collide and they both receive Christ. Simeon holds him up in his arms and he blesses God and he says, pick it up with me at verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon holds this child. He's been waiting for this consolation for the one that would come and bring and set and establish a new kingdom. He says, now I can die in peace. And why do you think he can die in peace? Because he has experienced and received Jesus. And in Jesus, says Simeon, is salvation. In Jesus is the divine rescue. The one that he was hoping for. And it's a rescue that has been and is prepared for all. It says, a light to the Gentiles and glory to my people Israel. As he holds up this child, it is consolation for himself but it is also for the people that he represents Israel and then the folks that they were telling the story of God to, Gentiles, basically everybody else. So Simeon speaks here and encompasses the whole of humanity in his declaration of this divine rescue. And he describes Jesus as light. And light, um, basically, light allows you to see things, right? When you have a nice evening out, maybe, and you walk home and all the lights are off, you walk in and what do you do? Come on now. You turn on your lights. And why do you turn on your lights? So you can see, right? Be a bit of a mess if you're, like, fumbling around. You're like, oh, yeah, I did know the couch was there, but now my knee is really letting me know that the couch is there. So we turn the lights on so that we can see. When you're camping, now that I'm in Utah, I feel like in Portland people say they're outdoorsy, but then I moved to Utah and I'm like, people really are outdoorsy. I kind of imagine it to be similar to Bend. And you know, folks have those the the all the gear, you know, the outdoor gear. And one of the things I've realized is anybody who's go camping, like you have to have that thing that you put on your head, and then that's your torchlight. Right? And then you can see your way to the loo, to so the bathroom. You can see you as you're cooking. Like the light lets you see out in the middle of nowhere. My mum and dad live in the north part of England at the moment and um, they had, they're having huge floods right now in the north part of England and they can't really get anywhere. And so they run a school over there and um, everything's gone dark. And my mum said, it's so wonderful that all these students have their iPhones. Because all we do, we like put on the generator and they plug in their phones and then they have these flashlights so that they can see. So Simeon here is equating Jesus with light. And so there is something that when we encounter Jesus that he is letting us see. Jesus is described as light because of what his presence lets us see. And his presence lets us see the truth of who God is and who we are. And that is glory to Israel. And it's glory to Israel because they've had little glimmers of this light all along. It's been written in the law for them. It's been spoken through the prophets. God's love, his faithfulness, his mercy, his covenant commitment. These are the glimmers of light that they've been party to as the people of Israel. But now that light expands and it expands into glory in the person of Christ. Because all those little glimmers were pointing to the person of Christ. Jesus is the place where people literally get to meet with God. Jesus is the place where we are made right with God. Through his sacrifice, through redemption, that beautiful song that was just sung. Jesus is the place of God's presence, literally now, in human form. Heaven touches earth. And it's the meeting place between God and humanity. He is the meeting place between God and humanity. And he lets us see and experience God's love. A love that reconciles us to him, to God. A love that reconciles us to each other. And a a love that reconciles us to the rest of creation. That's the divine rescue. This is what Jesus lets us see. And that's the power of the picture behind us, or this picture again, if you would put that up. That Jesus is breaking into the dark places and as as Simeon holds him up and calls him this light to the Gentiles and glory to Israel, we know that he is the everlasting light. A light that isn't just past for Israel, but is present for us today in Bend, Oregon, and will be into the future. So Jesus breaks into a particular time in a particular place into that darkness and brings light. And Jesus continues to break in by the power of his spirit today, into this town. And he breaks into your places of darkness and mine. And so another question I have for you this morning is where do you need to receive Jesus? Simeon and Anna received him. Where do you need to receive him? Where do you need to receive his light and his hope? Maybe you've never known that you can be reconciled to other people or reconciled to God. Maybe you've never received Jesus. And these two elders up here and Christ Himself would invite you to let Him in to the deep places of your heart. Maybe um, you need to receive Him in your marriage there is some darkness there, some dissonance. And that same light that entered into the darkness of Israel can enter into that place in your marriage. Maybe you need to receive him into a place of anticipation as you think about Christmas and the darkness that is confronted by what it means to have or not have family. that the light of Christ can be received into that hot mess. Or maybe it's in your workplace. Or maybe in a relationship. To be able to live our lives fully related to God and then respond related to him, we have to receive Jesus. Initially and then continually. We encounter him and we call that redemption, salvation. And then we continue to encounter him. And that's what we call renewal or sanctification. Because he is continually bringing his light into those places of darkness. And he is committed to doing that. To saving us. So my prayer is that you would receive him into that place of darkness. That you would let him reveal that you would see the love of God through Christ. That you would see him bringing you hope. And that you would let him bring you peace. Anna and Simeon encountered Christ. And in encountering him, They received him. And that led them to worshipping fully, unabashedly, abandoned. Simeon is a picture of redemption's joy. In verse 38, what does Anna do? She catches eyes with all the other people that have been waiting and she gives thanks. And she says, yeah, your hope Your hope was not in vain your hope was not futile the God who keeps his promises and will keep keeping his promises has broken into our darkness and I think if she was standing here today she'd do the same thing she would catch eyes with you and she would say your hoping is not in vain Your expectation and your anticipation of the presence of Christ into all of your places of darkness, into your life, is not in vain. She wants us, Luke wants us, to listen to her. These elders have an overflow of joy. Why? Because they anticipated Christ and they received Christ. And now they respond by fully worshiping. And Mary and Joseph in the text, they, um, they hear these words of Simeon. I'm not sure if they see Anna or what happens there. We don't know necessarily how they're interacting with Anna. But when they hear the words of Simeon, it says that they marvel. They marvel at these words that Simeon has. Verse 33 And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. I can see him kind of holding the child and kind of locking eyes with Mary. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed." He blesses them, which means that he speaks the truth over them. And then he looks at Mary and says this to her. And you're like, dude, that does not sound much like a blessing. Right? It's going to be a sword that pierces your soul. You're like, right, I didn't really expect that this morning. Thanks, yo, Simeon. Because Simeon knows something. The power of the Spirit has spoken something through him that is a truth about this child that he holds. And he knows that the truth about this child that he holds is going to break his mother's heart. It will be like a sword piercing to her very soul. Because the Spirit attests always to the truth. The Spirit knows the narrative before it's lived. The Spirit knows what is anticipated for this Christ child. Mary's son, Jesus, is a sign, a declaration of God's love. But he's going to be seen as a threat, he's going to be denied, he's going to be looked past. He's going to be mocked, and he's ultimately going to be condemned and crucified. And although the proper response to this child is worshipping fully, it's not the only response, right? It's not the only response to this child. This Savior who is light and glory will be a threat. He'll be threatening, and I know that already Pete has told you that he was already a threat to the king in those times, King Herod. A child this small becomes a threat to his kingdom, and so then what does he try and do? Abolish it. In the most destructive and oppressive way. by getting rid of all the children that are two and under. He is also condemned, and we know through the narrative of the story that he's going to be condemned by both the religious and the political leaders. He's denied. He's denied by many people as he walks through the streets of Galilee and Nazareth. But I think maybe one of the most significant denials is the one by one of his closest friends, Peter. one of the disciples that has followed him, understood him, learned from him, and when it really matters, Peter, what does he say? No. I'm not going to worship this one fully. I'm going to deny him." And then he's mocked as he's dying by a load of guards as they throw things around and take his clothes. They make a mockery of him. And so worshipping Jesus is the appropriate response but it's not the only response. What is your response to him? Is Jesus a threat to you? Seems like a small thing, but Advent conspiracy, it's kind of shaking up the familiar. The pastoral team are asking you to do something different with your wallet. Does that feel like a threat? Maybe worshipping Jesus is still a threat. It's a threat to the familiar, it's the threat to the routine. It may be a threat to what it is that God might ask us to do with our lives. What would it mean if we worshipped him fully? Sometimes that feels a little unsettling. And if we're honest with ourselves, he still remains a threat. Is Jesus a threat to you? Is um, your response to him is to deny him? And yeah, you're here on a Sunday morning. So you're like, no, I don't, I don't deny the reality of Jesus. But this really is the only time that you would make a declaration. You're connected to him here, but then it doesn't really influence the way that you live your life anywhere else. There's a denial, a lived denial What is your response to Jesus? And maybe you're here and you're just not really sure how to respond, and that's okay. It's okay. It's why we have this table. It's an invitation. When Jesus was with his disciples, at the very last, he um, came and he broke bread. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup and he lifted it up and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. So we're going to be invited to these tables this morning. If you're gluten free, you can come to the very sides here. Because we know that this Jesus that Simeon and Anna waited for, the, ones that they, the one that they received and that they fully worshipped is the same Jesus. It's the, he is the everlasting light. And he continues to ask us to respond, to receive, to hear from him. And so we do that in a very tangible, tactile way. This morning through communion. And I'd say to you, as you come, you can linger here. You don't have to rush. The power of the Spirit that made Jesus alive to Simeon is the same Spirit that is alive today and can make him real to you this morning. Where are the places of darkness that you need to let Christ invade with his light? and his hope and his presence? Where in your heart are you waiting? Or where do you need to wait? And tell him that you are expecting and anticipating the reality of who he is to show up. And what's your response to him? Maybe you need to confess. Maybe this is a place of confession this morning, so that Christ's redemptive work can happen in your heart, so that your response to him is one of connection. And in being connected to him, that means that the way you live your life is a life that is connected and therefore a life of worship. The wonder, the curiosity, the anticipation of who he is and how he's going to mark your life can be made real as you commune with him and ask him to transform your heart so that the way you do respond to him isn't as a threat or as a mockery or as a denial, but instead is a response of faith and trust and hope that he does and he will and will continue to do the work that he's promised to do in us and through us in the city in which we live. And so as you spend less and you give more, it isn't just to reframe Christmas. It's so that you can have space to encounter Christ. You can expect him, receive him, and respond to him. Fully worshipping. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for our elders, the ones that live among us now. I thank you for my grandmother. I thank you for the way that her faith um, calls me into a lived practice of expecting you and anticipating you and wondering the things that you have done will do. I thank you for the elders that you give us in this text of Anna and Simeon and the way that they waited the way that they anticipated. And as they received you, you broke into the dark places. And though there were many responses that that happened and many responses that people have had in history towards you, I thank you that their example was of worshiping fully. And so I pray for this community of folks as they step into Advent conspiracy. I pray that you would encounter them in a fresh way, in a new way. I pray that Holy Spirit, you would make Jesus's redemption and love real to them. I pray that they would truly see in Christ the love of the Father, reconciling them to him, reconciling to family members and in marriages and, Lord, reconciling us to to the works that we do in love as we reflect the light of who you are. So I pray for this community. I pray that this community would respond to you and worship fully, that their lives would be marked significantly by your presence. Pray that you would meet them today here at your table, the table that you have set for us. Pray these things in your name, Lord Christ, and for your glory and love. Amen.